Hello and welcome to another episode of our Revolutionary Podcast. This is Pastor Tito Sotolongo, your podcast pastor as well as pastor at Tabernacle of God. Church, where my job is to help you find faith in Christ and learn how to follow through in your life. So today I want to talk about the dangers of social distancing. And there's a lot of avenues and there's a lot of ways that I can approach this, but we're just going to focus specifically on one, and that's the impact that it can have on our minds and our hearts and spirit. And I want to make sure that if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And we're not just going to practice proper social distancing, but we also need to learn how to practice proper spiritual distancing. So let's check it out. I know I've already asked this question a lot this morning, but I just want to ask it one more time. Is it just me, or am I the only one getting sick of social distancing? I'm getting sick of it. I know a lot of you guys are getting sick of it too. But see, there's something super important, though, that I want to make sure why I'm bringing this up. Because, see, we're doing social distancing for a reason, right? What, what is it? So we don't get sick. I know you might be sick of social distancing, but the point that the reason why we're recommended to keep six feet back and all those things is so we don't get sick, right? To limit the amount of... Uh, contact points so we don't get contagious, right? That's the idea. But here's the thing, though, is that even though social distancing might prevent us from getting sick physically, I believe, and what my biggest fear is, is that social distancing can cause a lot of us to get sick emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Look, and I'm not the only one who thinks like that. I mean, we all know what that's like. Isolation is not a fun feeling. All right. And, and now there is a level of isolation that's healthy. Look, I, I'm an introvert more than I am an extrovert. And so I might be dealing with it better than some of my extroverted friends. Yo, we feeling you right now. You know, social distance, high five. You know, isolation is very dangerous. But at the same time, there are some pros to it. You know, like I have my own me time. We all need me time. Things that it's just us and we're just kind of alone. Things that we like to enjoy doing. You know, for me, I like to read books, spend time with God. I like to exercise. I like to watch movies. And even if I'm the only one watching it, I like to do those things. You know, I need my me time. The reason why I need my me time is because I am no good to anyone if I'm not doing good. Right? That's just the reality of it. We are no good to anyone if we're not doing good. So we all need me time. But let's be honest. We all need we time. We all need that time. And some of us need more we time than others. But we all need that we time because we were made to be connected. We were made for relationships. And we are experiencing that design more than ever right now. And that's why, that's my biggest heart. That's what really weighs on my heart is how are you dealing with this isolation? Back in, just in 2015, just five years ago, uh, Brigham, Brigham Young University actually did a study, a psychological study, and they talked about how there's this correlation between isolation and early mortality. Literally, they, they were saying, they were proving that those who struggle, like you are at a greater risk of dying at a younger age if you struggle with isolation, if you struggle with feeling alone. So this is a big deal. Social distancing might help us to, you know, prevent some sicknesses, but if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we can still get sick in a different way. Isolation itself, though it's helping us, can actually hurt us if we're not careful. And that's why we need to learn those, the right kind of rhythms and relationships. We need those things because here's why. You and I are not like a car, right? Our cars have a gas gauge. They tell us how much we have left in the tank, right? They'll tell us, hey, you've got a quarter. You got, you got half. 
It's on yellow. It's on E, bro. You better hurry up and fill up, right? Our cars tell us when we're running out of gas. You and I don't have a gauge that tells us when you and I are running out of gas and when our tank is running low. In fact, we realize it some often when it's already too late and we've already hit the wall and we've either had a breakdown. And that's why we need the kind of rhythms and relationships because, because those friends, the people who love us, they are our gas gauge. They can tell us when something is wrong before it's too late. And so we're going to look at uh, not just a portion of scripture, but we're going to listen to the Apostle Peter. Okay? Peter is someone who was there. He was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And he was there, uh, saw everything firsthand, was with Jesus for those three years. And he later in his life, around 60 AD, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, we just celebrated that last Sunday, right, with Easter. 30 years after that, he's writing one of two letters that we have that make up the New Testament. And Peter is writing to a church who is struggling with isolation and just straight out struggling. The reason why they're feeling isolated is because they are being hunted, right? The, the early church throughout those first few decades, even not just the first 30 years, the first 300 years was an under constant threat. And here, there, this, this church was struggling and they go to Peter, it's like, Peter, what do we do? You know, what do we do? How do we face this isolation? How do we deal with this struggle? And so Peter writes to them to encourage them, and it can speak to our hearts and our lives today. So let's look at the first one. Here we're going to look at 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, where step one, if he was going to give us the kind of rhythm that we need to deal with isolation, he would first say, well, you need to be humble. We're going to read out of the fifth chapter, which is the final chapter. And what I'm going to read today is pretty much his entire summary. So I challenge you to read the rest of 1 Peter to kind of see how he broke this down even further. But here he says this. If you want to deal with isolation, first thing you have to do, be humble. So he goes, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And I love this. Watch this. Casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Peter says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. See, humility is key because humility is really us having a great grasp of reality. Okay, to be humble means to recognize who you are and also to recognize who you are not. When you are humble, you realize what you can do and what you can't do. Also, humbling ourselves before God. Not just God, but the mighty hand of God. It's realizing that God's, you know, that mighty hand is another way of saying that he's all-powerful and that all that he can do. To humble ourselves before God is to recognize God is God. I am not. I have limits. He doesn't. And so to humble ourselves before God is to truly recognize who he is and who we are in him. And now he actually tells us, how do we humble ourselves? Well, verse 6 casting your cares. That, that's how you humble yourself. It's to say, look, don't hold on to the things that weigh you down and struggle, that you're struggling with. If you're struggling with it, it's because it's too big for you to handle. So it's okay. Hand it off to God, his mighty hand. Put it in that mighty hand of his. That's how we humble ourselves, by casting our cares. And why? Because he loves us. See, Peter can, can speak from a place of experience. Because there was a time when Peter was so distracted by his difficulties, he almost died. In fact, we look at it, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 14, which I'm going to quote from Matthew a little bit today. Matthew was another one of the apostles that were uh, right alongside with uh, Peter. So Matthew was there. He saw this go down. And later on, after the resurrection, 
He documented these things. And um, the reason why, guys, we have a New Testament, why Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, why so many of these people and Paul, why they documented the life of Jesus, it's because Jesus came back to life. If he would have stayed dead, none of this would have mattered. His story would not be worth being, it wouldn't be worth telling. But because he rose from the grave, they documented these things. That's why we have it. And so Matthew tells us in chapter 14 of a time when Jesus was walking on water. They had spent all day teaching the people. God, Jesus did this amazing miracle, fed thousands, and Jesus wanted some me time. He said, look, I'm going to go and pray. And I just want you guys to just get in the boat and just go across the lake, all right? Now meet I'll catch up with you guys. So they do that. And uh, Matthew writes how him and Peter and then the, the rest of the apostles, they got in the boat, and they, as they're crossing the lake, a big storm, massive storm shows up. And they think they're going to drown. They think they're going to collapse and capsize, and it's not fun. They're struggling. They feel alone out there in the middle of this ginormous lake. And there, and there they look up, and in the middle of the storm, they see someone literally walking on water, pa- about to pass them. And it was Jesus. And so they start to call out to him. They think it's a ghost. They realize it's Jesus after he said, hey, I'm Jesus. Peter says, if it's you, then call me out there. I want to I meet you out there. I want to walk on water. So he does. Matthew talks about how Peter stepped out of the boat, the only one out of the 11 or the 12 to do it. He's walking on water, but then Matthew writes how Peter got distracted. I'm pretty sure later on, you know, everything was going good, and then Peter begins to sink. And, you know, it would have been interesting, that conversation. Matthew was like, yo, Peter, what was going on, bro? You were doing great. What happened? Well, the problem was that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and instead started looking at the wind and the waves and the storm and and just the, the lightning and so many things. See, he began to be distracted. And because he was distracted from God because of his difficulties, he began to sink. He calls out to Jesus. Jesus rescues him, picks him back up, puts him on top of his feet as they walk on water back on, you know, to the boat together. And and so I could just see Peter saying, listen, I know what that's like. If you let your difficulties distract you, you're going to sink faster than you can realize. So step one, if you're dealing with isolation, you got to be humble. But that is the next that that is super important because see the next thing we can't experience step two if we don't do the first one. See, when you are humble, you are actually free. You are free because you are set free, realizing you're handing things off to God, the things that weigh you down. And it is a freeing place to know who God is and who you are in him. Now, to be free, though, is, does not mean that we are carefree or that we can be careless. That's why the next thing that Peter says is you got to learn to be careful. Let's look at the next one. This is verse 8 and 9. He says, be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Like, he's trying to get them to see. They were saying, yo, is it just me, Peter? Or are we the only ones out here struggling to survive? And they say, no, you're not the only ones. You're not the only ones. Others are dealing with it, and others are overcoming it. And so that's a, that's a great word of encouragement there. But, but we need to make sure we understand this step that Peter is encouraging them is to be careful, to be careful. Being humble is a big step, but we got to also learn to be careful. Why? Because if we are careless, okay, if we're careless, then we're going to make certain decisions that's going to hurt us. It's going to be negative in the end. You know, he's saying, look, there is an enemy out there. The devil and demons, they're walking out like, you know, what do you call it? It's like a roaring lions. They're making all this kind of noise to intimidate us and to get to us. And so we need to be careful. We need to learn to resist 
them. And what are we resisting, by the way? We're resisting the lies that they're roaring, okay? They're walking around, right? Like, what is it? Like roaring lions. They're making some noise. And the noise that they are shouting, the noise that they're trying to fill in our hearts and our minds are lies. Lies that God isn't real or lies that you are not enough or lies, which is true in itself, but still, but lies that you, no one loves you, that you're going to die alone. Lies that there, you are hopeless. There is no hope. There's no answer. Those are all, that's the kind of lies that they are roaring. And we need to be careful. We can't be careless with this kind of enemy. You know why? Because they don't care about your well-being. Okay, there's no demon out there who at the end of just, you know, messing somebody's life up, ain't no demon that looked at another one and was like, bro, you know what? But I think we took it too far, yo. Look at that. I think we took it too far. Maybe, you know, maybe next time, I don't know, you think we should help them? You know, All right, you know next time I won't do that. All right, All right, cool. Okay, listen, demons could care less about your well-being. That's why we need to be careful, careful. And if we're going to resist them, it, what we are doing is we are resisting the lies that they're spitting. Because those lies are meant to, again, devour. It's interesting, Paul uses this, I'm sorry, Peter uses this image of the devil as a lion that devours. And I even compare that to the way Moses talks about the devil as a serpent, as a snake, in the book of Genesis. We see him as a snake, right? What is the snake doing? Deceiving, right? The snake deceives through lies. And then here we see that the devil is a lion who devours. And hey, they all work together. See, when you are deceived by the lies of the enemy, that lie begins to devour something in you. That those lies are what devour our hope, our peace, our love, our sense of self-worth. Those lies are meant to devour and to destroy anything that is of worth and of value in you. It is meant to destroy that spiritual life and that connection inside of you. So we need to learn to resist the enemy in that way. We got to resist the enemy in that way. And Peter, again, will tell you, listen, I've been there. I've been there. He was, care Peter used to be very careless with his words. One time, Matthew talks about this too, all right? Matthew in chapter 16 talks about this conversation where Jesus is kind of letting them know. He's giving them the insights and saying, hey, there's going to, something's going to happen to me that I'm going to be surrendered to my enemies. I'm going to die, but three days later, he starts telling them about the plan. And then Peter wasn't having it. Peter was like, no, nah, Jesus, what you talking about? No, no one's going to lay a hand on you, bro. I was like, no, no one's going to touch you. You know what Jesus' reply is to Peter? He says to him, Satan, get behind me. That was afraid. Get behind me, Satan. Must have, Peter must have been like, where is he? Yo, tell me, where is he at? Where's the devil? What are you talking about? Say, get behind me, Satan. Peter didn't realize that his attitude at that moment was actually a lie from the enemy. He was saying, no, Peter, you can't let Jesus you can't let Jesus die. You can't let anything happen to Jesus. You got to protect him, Peter. You got to protect him. Jesus says, no, no. See, he knew that the enemy was speaking and spitting lies in Peter's ears. So he said, no, nah, get behind me, Satan. Nope, Peter, don't listen to him. That is not, you don't understand. All right, and that was an amazing thing. Because Peter said, look, I had no clue. I had no clue. I was buying the lie of the enemy. And I was kind of careless. I was careless with his words. You know, Jesus had to put him in check. So he began to learn, I was like, wow, I need to be extra careful that I don't fall to the lies of the enemies anymore. And that's the same thing. Listen, for you and me, we got to be careful. We got to be careful in the same way you and I are being careful right now. Why am I doing this 
from our church. Why am I doing this from our living room? Why are churches doing these kind of social services? Why are we having plexiglass in our cash registers? Why are we walking around with masks on, looking like a bunch of ninjas and gloves? You know, like why are we constantly being bathed in Lysol and hand sanitizer? Why have we shut down everything? Why? Because we don't want to get sick, right? That's the whole point of it, right? Well, we are doing social distancing so we don't get sick. We, are, we want to resist the virus. And if we can resist going outside, then it increases the chances that we're resisting, you know, getting caught, getting, getting sick and having to deal with that, okay? Well, if, if we're this careful about a virus, okay, a physical one, we need to be that much more careful about a spiritual virus, which is the lies of the enemy. Okay, listen, we need to practice spiritual distancing, okay? I don't know if you've been out in a store yet, and if somebody's gotten a little too close to you, you kind of give them the look, or you've, somebody's giving you the look, and you forgot, oh, my fault, uh, six feet back, right? Okay, my, um, excuse me, right? You see the lines, you forgot to cross that line, whatever, uh, you know, in the grocery store, right? We do that because, hey, no, get back. I don't want to get sick. We need to be able to resist the enemy in the same way. And you cannot resist the enemy if you don't know the truth, if you don't know the truth of God. See, if not, then you, if, you don't know, if you don't know the truth of God, then how do you know what to resist? This is why humbling, the party said prior to, is so important. If you humble yourself to God, you're not just giving him your worries and cares. You're humbling to what he has spoken. You're humbling yourself to his words, to the promises of God. And when you know the promises of God, now you can resist the enemy. You can resist the lies when you know the truth. See, if you don't humble yourself to God, you can't resist. You can't resist falling for the lies of the enemy. In fact, it's the, the opposite. If you humble yourself to your sinful nature, to your understanding, you will find yourself resisting God. And God's just here to try to help. And that's the biggest fear. Peter said, look, I wasn't careful. I needed to be able to do that. And in the same way, we, when we know the truth of God, we can do like Jesus said to the enemy, right? So Jesus, what he said to Satan, yeah, get behind me, Satan. Well, when the enemy comes at us with a lie, we can look at him, yo, six feet back, bro. Six feet back. That's a lie. I'm not letting that lie contaminate my spirit. Six feet back. All right? That's what we need to do. We need to practice spiritual distancing against the enemy and against those lies. So the first one is Peter would say to us, if we're dealing with isolation, humble yourself. Realize you need God. And resist, okay? Be careful. Be careful not to fall for any of the traps of the enemy. And the last one is the end product. If we do those two things, here's what happens. Then we can be hopeful. Let's look at the last verse here. 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11, he says, For the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, him, he himself, God's going to do this personally. I love this. He's going to restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered for a little while. To him be dominion forever. When he says dominion forever, he's saying, listen, God is in charge. The de- you know, there might be a devil roaring around like, you know, he might be roaming like a roaring lion, but God has never lost sight of where that devil is. He might allow him to exist. He might allow him to do what he's doing, but he's checked. He's in check. God is still in charge. Despite any suffering and things we might be dealing with, God has dominion. Now, that's probably where I might lose some of you guys. I'm like, well, see, right there. That's why I don't believe in God. Or maybe that's why some of you struggle to believe in God. How can an all-powerful all loving God allow evil to exist in the world. Why can't, why is God allowing things, bad things to happen, right? We usually say those things because we're talking about the bad that we see out there. Like, why would God allow that to happen, that to happen, that to happen, that to happen? But have you ever 
thought, if you've ever asked that question, have you ever thought, well, if God were to stop the bad that was happening out in the world, would you be okay if he kept you from doing bad things all the time? Like, what if you wanted to do something and he determined it to be bad and he kept you from doing it? Would you be okay with that? Because for him to do that would mean he would have to restrict you. And if we're having this big of an issue with government officials telling us what to do and what we can't do, how are you going to like it if God was going to do that? See, we don't have a free will there. We can't experience true life if that was an option. But I understand your thinking. I understand your thinking. But, but if he is all loving and all powerful, then why? Why would he do that? See, regardless of what you believe, okay, I want you to know that every belief system in the world has to have an answer for suffering and evil. It has to. There's a lot of religions and a lot of uh, philosophies and thing, ways of thinking that uh, say, well, you just can't, you can't, it just is, is a reality of life and you can't say anything about it. It just, it is what it is. And then others say, well, it's just, it's fake. It's not real. It's an illusion. Suffering and evil is an illusion. Uh, you know, or just kind of write it off and they look, I got no answer. It's just, you know, for whatever reason, I'm upset that if God would allow it, you know, that bothers me. But, you know, if it was just part of nature, no, that doesn't bother me. But then think deep down, it does. Why does evil bother us? Because deep down, you and I are moral beings. We have this sense of right and wrong. We have this sense that the world isn't what it ought to be. Now, if, if, if there is a sense of right and wrong, then that means there has to be one right and not everybody can be right. We all need to have an answer for suffering and evil. Now, the good news is, is that for us as Christians and believers, we have an answer. You might not like it, but, oh, but we have one. In fact, I love Ravi Zacharias. I'm going to read this here. Ravi Zacharias has a great quote talking about uh, suffering and evil. Why suffering? In fact, he wrote a great book. I want you to check it out. I think it's from where I got it from. It's called Why Suffering? Let me read this. Ravi Zacharias says this. The biblical worldview is the only one that accepts the reality of evil and suffering while giving both the cause and purpose, while offering God-given strength and sustenance in the midst of it. Now, break that down. See here, the Judeo-Christian faith, the biblical worldview says, look, suffering is, a, is real. It is real. So we accept the reality of suffering. But we also, we talk about the, what's the cause of it all? Well, the cause of it is our sin. It's the decisions of mankind since the beginning, even until now, right? That is the cause of all of the wickedness in the world. Pain and suffering is, is, is related and is caused by our sin. God didn't cause it. Humanity caused it through their disobedience. But then we give uh, pain and suffering and then has a purpose where there's things in the world that we go through things that make us stronger in the end. And God allows suffering to happen. And in the end, you, you would agree, there's sometimes we've gone through something and you wish you wouldn't have gone through it. But in the end, you appreciate things so much more because you did, because you made it through. There's just a lesson that you can only learn when you go through something. You can't learn it trying to go around it, over it, or under it. When you go through it, you learn a lesson. You see something. See, God can take all of our bad decisions and still turn it around for our good. He can give purpose to pain, even if it's not his fault, even if it's our fault. God can give purpose to it. But then I love even Ravi's uh, description at the end. See, we are given God-given strength and sustenance in the midst of it. God meets us in our suffering. In fact, that's what the cross is all about. He met us in our suffering by himself suffering for our sins. That's why the cross was so important. That's why he did all of those things. And Peter again would tell you, listen, I want you to be hopeful because there was a time when I was hopeless. See, one time Peter, uh, this is right around that time, probably that conversation a minute ago where I was saying, go get behind me. 
Peter had this conversation during the Last Supper, and they were talking about the end and everything. And, and one time Peter goes to Jesus, and he says to him, man, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be right there for you. I'm ride or die. And Jesus says, look, I appreciate, appreciate the words, bro, but uh, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. Peter's like, why would I do that? No way, bro. Never, never. Well, that night, Jesus gets arrested. Peter, he's afraid. He kind of is, you know, hanging out outside of the, where's the courtroom where Jesus is being tried in a very unfair way. Three different opportunities. People come up to Peter and say, hey, bro, I know you. I know you, right? You, 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 that, you that guy you were hanging out with Jesus. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, man, that wasn't me. I was like, yeah, I know you. I've seen you, bro. You even got that accent, bro. You, you talk like you're from that place. I, I, I know you. You, you. You're one of Jesus' followers. No, not me. A little girl comes up and kind of says, oh, I think I recognize you. By now, Peter lost it. Peter actually cusses out this little girl, just lets her have it, all right? And, that's, and right when he finishes saying his sentence, a rooster crows. And there, the, those echoing words, that it hadn't been a few hours since Jesus said those things. And actually, it was John, no, Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. He writes how Peter ran off and went alone and cried and just sobbed miserably. He says, how could I have denied him? How could I have just abandoned my best friend? He told me I was going to do it. I said I wouldn't, and I did it anyways. See, Peter fell into a pit of isolation, and he struggled. He had no hope. He felt no worth. You don't see Peter pop up again until the resurrection. Peter goes and runs off, and he's one of the first ones. He runs inside the tomb. There's no Jesus there. There's no body, right? And then he goes back. He meets Jesus. There's a resurrected Jesus. Jesus is alive. But you know what? This is how I know Peter was still struggling. He still was hopeless. He was happy. Oh, trust me. Peter was happy that Jesus was alive, but he was still hopeless. How do I know that? Well, John, again, another one of the apostles who was there, he was an eyewitness. In John chapter 21, he talks about how Peter and the rest of them were out fishing. See, that's what Peter's job was before he met Jesus. Peter was so depressed, he reverted back to old patterns and old ways in order to cope. How many times have we done that, right? We're just so depressed that we end up doing, we get into old habits and old things that we used to deal with the world, and, and we, we, we take steps backwards instead of forwards. That's what Peter's doing. He's fishing, and he's not having a good day. Fishing all night and hasn't caught a thing. Super hopeless, super depressed, now broke, you know, because he needs the money. And then Jesus, the risen Jesus, meets him on a beach. And Jesus reenacts the same miracle that Jesus did with Peter when he first met Peter. That sparked Jesus' faith. No, not Jesus' faith. It sparked Peter's faith. And he does the same miracle to spark, re-spark Peter's faith again. He says, hey, you've been fishing all day, right? Yeah, I haven't caught a thing. And I was like, well, how about you cast your net on the other side? Bro, I've been fishing all day. Uh, it's not going to work. Bro, just do it. Peter does it. And then he catches this overwhelming amount of fish. And that's when Peter remembers, wait a minute, because he couldn't see who it was who was yelling at him from the beach. That's Jesus. And, and literally the same miracle, that's what happened the first time that caused, that opened up Peter's eyes. Jesus reenacts the miracle again to reopen his eyes. And that's for us. How many times we've ever, we're just out there and we're trying to fish for just life and substance. And we're just trying to do all this and, and, we're, and we're just left empty. All we need to do is change our perspective, change our perspective, change our position, trust in God, and boom, there it is. There's everything we've been looking for. Peter goes, he swims out, he jumps in the water, swims all the way through to the beach, goes, falls before Jesus, and then Jesus has an interesting conversation. He asks him three questions. Peter, do you love me? 
Yes, Jesus, I know, you know I love you. But Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? He's like, Jesus, you know I love you. Jesus asked three questions. And in those three questions, Peter affirmed his faith and love in the same way that he had three questions, right? You're that guy, right? No, that's not me. I don't know him. Yeah, you know Jesus. No, you're not. He gave him three chances and he redeemed Peter's mistakes with those three questions, reenacting the same miracle to reignite his faith again. And Peter would say, listen, I was hopeless. If there was anyone, if there was anyone who didn't deserve a second chance, it was me. I let Jesus down. I denied him. And he felt like there was nothing else. Let me just go back to fishing. That's all I know. I have nothing else to look forward to. And Jesus said to him, no, you don't. There's still hope. I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want you to know the same thing. If you've been struggling with that and wondering, like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or maybe right now you're, so, you're struggling with isolation and you're going back to old vices and old struggles. Listen, I want you to know that just because you've taken a step backwards doesn't mean you can't take a step forwards. Jesus is calling you forward. All you have to do is believe. And, and when you believe, Peter would say, look, he will establish, look what he did again, that he will restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered for a little while. I know that he could do it for you because he did it for me. See, that's an amazing story, an amazing testimony. And Peter would want us to follow his example, let, to learn from his mistakes, to avoid how he was. He was prideful, careless, and he ended up hopeless. But if we can be humble before God, if we can be humble and careful, we can learn to be hopeful. And so I have one bottom line to encourage you, especially if you're dealing with this, because this isn't something that you and I are just supposed to do by ourselves, okay? Peter wrote this to a church. If you want to be hum you know, humble and careful, you can't do it solo, alone, all right? This was written to a group of people who are to encourage each other to be helpful, to be careful, and to, you know, to remind each other to be hopeful. We got to do this together. And the reason why we got to do this together is this right here. Because we are most prone to attack when we are away from the pack. All right? We are most prone to attack from the enemy when we are away from the pack. And you have watched enough National Geographic videos to know I'm telling the truth. All right? I'm telling the truth. You've seen it. You've seen which ones are the, you know, the lions and the hyenas, right? Speaking of lions, Peter was talking about one. The lions, which one do they go after? Which buffalo, which, which animal do they go after? They don't go after the biggest buck, right? They don't go after the biggest one, right? What do they do? They look for the one who's kind of goofing off, not paying attention, kind of, you know, falling behind the pack. They go after the one who's distracted, right? They go after the one who's weak, the weaker one who can't keep up with the rest, or they'll attack a certain section and they'll try to separate one of, you know, the herd, whatever they're trying to go after. They'll try to separate that one away from the pack because it's easier to tackle one and, you know, to group on, on one of those prey rather than just trying to deal with all of them at the same time. Well, we are most prone to attack when we are away from the pack. Our enemy is walking around, what? Prowling around like a roaring lion. He's looking to see who's distracted. He's looking to see who's discouraged. And if you are neither one of those two, then he's going to try to throw something at you to get you there, to isolate you so that they can get to you. Here's how we avoid this. We are most prone to attack when we are away from the pack. So what we need to keep doing is keep coming back to God daily and keep watching each other's backs regularly. That's what we need to do. 
humble ourselves before God. We need to keep coming back to him daily, knowing that even if we've struggled, even if we've taken a step backwards, we can always take that step forward to Christ because he took every single step on the cross, through the grave, heaven again, so that we can, all we have to do is take the one step and believe. That's the only step forward we need to take, and he does the rest. And so in knowing this, we have to be careful. How? Keep coming back to God daily and keep watching each other's backs regularly. We are not meant to live this life alone. We need to be there for one another. In fact, my wife, in a little bit, she's going to say something that we as pastors, we want to do this week to show with you, to encourage you, because right now we have not seen each other face-to-face. There's a lot of you who haven't seen face-to-face in a good bit, almost a month now. We've only seen each other this way, or at least you're seeing me. I'm not seeing you. Uh, and so we're going to do something that we're going to talk about later on how we want to show that, look, we, we need to get each other's backs. And we're, uh, we're going to talk about that in the end in a little bit. See, you and I, you and I can resist the enemy in a greater way when we don't do it alone. When we have one another encouraging each other, getting each other's backs, that's so important. We are able to resist the lies of the enemy. When we have friends, when we have people to encourage us, to remind us of the truth, to be there when we're down to help us back up again. That is what the church is supposed to be. And that's what you and I need to be doing right now during this time. How can we, how can we watch, not just keep coming back to God daily, but how can we watch each other's backs? So I have one big application that I want you to do, not just this week. I want you to do it the second the service is over. I'm calling it take five, talk to five. When this service is over, I want you to take five minutes. Take five, all right? So take a pause. It doesn't have to be literally five minutes, but take five, time out, and talk to five people. Call five people up and see how they're doing. Encourage them, encourage them pray for them, whatever it is that you feel that you need to do. Talk to five people that you haven't talked to in a while and check up on them, see how they're doing. Take five, talk to five. And you might be, well, pastor, I'm the one that's kind of needing an encouragement. I need someone to call me. Well, hey, I understand, but here's the other thing. You will be encouraged when you encourage others. So don't just wait for someone to encourage you. You do. You just call somebody up. See how they're doing. Hey, I just want you to know I was thinking about you. Hey, I just want you to know you came to mind today, and I want to make sure that you are okay. That's what I want you to do. When we finish this service here today, I want you to take five and talk to five. All right? Let's watch each other's backs. Because now more than ever, we need to do that. Here's, here's the great news about all of this. If Jesus, okay, Jesus overcame three days of isolation in his tomb. And if Jesus can overcome three days of isolation in a tomb, you and I can overcome this too. That's the good news that we have in Christ, that we are not left to suffer alone, that we have a God who can take our pain and who take all of these problems and turn it around and give it purpose. In fact, the promises of God can never be canceled by the problems in this world. That's a lot. These problems that we're facing, oh, they've canceled a lot. But none of these problems can cancel the promises of God. And so I want to encourage you with that. And I want you to know that let's just keep, as we're practicing uh, regular social distancing, let's practice the right kind of spiritual distancing. Distance yourself away from the enemies and away from the lies and the negativity that you may be experiencing. Do not distance yourself away from people who love you and from a God who loves you. Because the more we practice this kind of proper spiritual distancing, listen, when we do that, our faith is going to grow stronger together when we walk with Christ together. And the more that happens, the weaker the hold of the enemy over our lives and over our world will be. 
There are pros and cons to social distancing, but there are also pros and cons to spiritual distancing. If you don't do it correctly, you can see obviously negative impacts. And so guys, I just want to encourage you making sure you are not finding yourself falling away from God, but instead drawing closer to him as you are separating yourself away from the enemy and not from each other. So be humble towards God, be careful towards your enemy, and be hopeful towards one another. That's how you and I can be revolutionaries, by revolving our life around Christ in that way and revolving our affections towards God so that he can glorify himself and he can shine through our actions. So join me back next week as we continue our series, Is It Just Me?, as we are combating the mental health issues that we're dealing with right now with social distancing by experiencing spiritual health through proper spiritual distancing. So God bless you guys. See you next week.